0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com
1: people today. For 30 long years, I've kept a secret that's haunted me, a secret so terrifying that I stopped going into the woods entirely. I've chosen to remain anonymous, but recent events have compelled me to finally share the harrowing experience that led me to avoid the Tennessee wilderness. It's a tale of fear, survival, a brush with the unknown that changed my life forever. Three decades ago, I decided to spend a day hiking in the Smoky Mountains. I packed light, hiked a couple of miles into the woods, and set up camp with my two loyal canine companions. It was a perfect day filled with exploration and the beauty of nature. As late afternoon arrived, I prepared to settle down and start a fire to warm up the campsite. However, my dogs seemed unusually agitated, barking and growling at something in the distance. Although they had always managed to keep bears away before, I couldn't help but feel a twinge of concern. As night began to fall, I left the tent door open to enjoy the warm summer air. I settled in for the night with my dogs nestled close. Suddenly I awoke to the bright moonlight illuminating the campsite and my dogs growling deeply. I then heard a strange thrumming groan coming from outside the tent. As my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I could see a dark outline that resembled the shape of a bear lurking just beyond the now cold embers of the campfire. I shouted at the figure, and to my surprise, it went quiet but then began to grow until it towered over the tent screen window. It was massive, unlike anything I'd ever encountered outside of a zoo. My dogs continued to growl, their instincts telling them that this creature was not to be trusted. The creature inhaled a long, slow breath before letting out a trumpeting call that sounded like a mick of a lion's roar. and a human shout, my dogs went silent and the creature bolted away. Ignoring my commands, they pursued the creature into the darkness. Panicked, I grabbed my rifle and headlamp and followed them. I could hear their barking in the distance, but they moved too quickly for me to catch up. Then I heard a maniacal laughing sound, like a hyena coming from the same direction as my dogs. My dread grew, but I persisted, hoping to find them safe. As the night wore on and the barking faded, I knew I had to return to camp or risk becoming lost myself. I spent the night waiting, calling for my dogs occasionally, but they never returned. At dawn, I resumed my search, and hours later I found one of them badly injured and whimpering in a thicket, the other torn to pieces. The loss of my dog's life hit me hard, and my surviving companion became fearful of both the night in the woods. I knew I had encountered something far worse than any bear or known predator that night. I grew up in a pretty boring town that does not have much stuff you can do as a teenager besides skating, drinking, and trying to get laid. So, to accomplish the last part, I invited my someone and another couple to a place I only know from when I was riding the train. To clarify, it was, is a small man, made rural forest sea, about two big swimming pools big, with natural water in it. It lies near train tracks, but the train rode only once a day, and there weren't any roads, so you can't easily drive up there. So my plan was to create a romantic atmosphere with my significant other. And so I brought wine, a small cassette player, yep, I'm old, some food and a small tent. The extra couple were friends of us, so I thought that might help. Part 1. As I've never been there before, and like I said, there weren't any roads, we had to walk about eight miles along the rail tracks to get there. About halfway, we noticed that there was not a single house farm industry-related compound at all, and we did not see cars or other people. That was one thing I've never noticed before when I was riding the train, because why would you... We did not think about any dangers or about cell phone reception, since cell phones were a thing only adults had back then. The sky was clear and bright that night when we arrived and we already had some wine in us, so we did not bother to set up our tents. Left all our stuff, food, drinks, tents, clothes, behind a tree and went right in the water. We must have been in there for about an hour before we started getting cold, so we all got out simultaneously and went straight for our stuff, but it all was gone. At first we thought we must have made a mistake and put the stuff elsewhere and started looking around, but after half an hour we gave up and were scared as hell. I totally sobered up in minutes and we started getting really cold because although it was summer we were wet and summers in my country aren't that hot, especially not at night. I decided that we find us a spot where we could overlook all of the area and sit around back to back in a circle and stay there until the sun rises, so we did. It was really cold, we were all half naked and it was quiet and windy and every time something moved, like trees from the wind, or a noise was made, we all got a huge scare out of it. We did not talk for hours, and when the sun was high enough so there were no invisible corners or bushes left, we quickly went back, barefoot, half-naked, dehydrated, tired, and still scared. It took us way longer back than last night because every half-mile we had to stop because of exhaustion or because something felt not right. My house was the closest, so we went straight there. Drink, ate, showered, and that was it for a while. Part 2. Two months later to the day, I remember because it was my birthday. I had some friends over for some hanging around and getting drunk. The couple was with us, my significant other not, because she moved away shortly after that. I was fall now, so the days were getting shorter, and when it started to become dark, we lit up a small fire in my parents' backyard and just sat there talking and drinking. Suddenly I hear a dog bark, which was odd, because she was always a very quiet fella. So I went to check it out and catched a glimpse of a person at our front door, running away. It was too dark, and he... She was too quick, so I could not make out a face or gender. I stood there for a few moments, and he opened the door, but nobody was there. When I looked down, I saw a really big bag, so myself concentrated, younger me thought. Cool presence. I opened up the bag only to find the clothes and the sleeping bag from our adventure two months ago in there. In a freaking note that said, Happy Birthday, my name, I was scared to death and still am very anxious because I cannot be a prank because we told nobody we were going to do this trip. There's not a house or anything near that place, and we did not see a single soul for 24 hours. I've never told the couple or my significant other this because let's be real here. There is no use in scaring them again after what we went through. Over twenty years have passed since then and nothing has ever happened there or to me or my friends. I had heard stories and rumors about strange creatures lurking in the vast wilderness of Yellowstone National Park, but as a seasoned park ranger, I had never encountered anything beyond the ordinary. That all changed one fateful day when I embarked on a routine patrol that would forever alter my perception of the park's mysteries. As I roamed the rugged terrain, my keen eyes scanning the surroundings, I noticed an unusual movement in the distance. There, among the trees, stood a towering figure, about eight or nine feet tall. It was a shadowy silhouette, an enigma against the backdrop of the dense forest. My heart quickened with curiosity and fear, for I had never seen anything quite like it before. The creature's two long, skinny legs seemed to support its massive frame effortlessly. Its arms were elongated, nearly reaching the ground and just as slender as the rest of its body, Its appearance was both surreal and unsettling, like something out of a terrifying nightmare. The most unnerving aspect was its face, or rather, the complete lack thereof. There was no discernible facial features, just a long, skinny neck leading up to a head that appeared to be featureless. The absence of any eyes, nose, or mouth sent a shiver down my spine. I instinctively reached for my camera, hoping to capture this extraordinary sighting. As I aimed, the creature seemed to sense my presence, turning its formless head in my direction. Fear gripped me, but I was determined to document this inexplicable encounter. In an instant, the creature reacted as if aware of my intentions. Without warning, it sprinted into the woods with incredible speed, disappearing among the trees. My heart pounded as I tried to follow but it was futile. The creature was gone, leaving me with only my own stunned disbelief. I couldn't shake the feeling that I had just witnessed something beyond explanation. Was this a creature of folklore and urban legend come to life? My mind raced through possibilities, but there was no denying the image burned into my memory. As days turned into weeks, I became consumed by the sighting. I pored over books and articles searching for any mention of similar encounters. The more I read, the more convinced I became that I had come face to face with Bigfoot, the legendary creature said to roam the wilderness. The skepticism of my fellow rangers and the public weighed heavily on me, but I couldn't dismiss what I had seen with my own eyes. My determination to find proof of Bigfoot's existence grew, and I launched my own private investigation. Armed with cameras, audio recorders, and an unwavering belief in the unknown, I delved deeper into the secluded corners of the park. I tracked footprints, collected hair samples, and set up motion. Activated cameras hoping to capture undeniable evidence. Days turned into weeks, and still, the mysterious creature eluded me. The more I searched, the more elusive it seemed. Doubt crept into my mind. Was I chasing a mere illusion born from a moment of excitement? Just as I was on the brink of giving up, fate intervened. On a crisp morning, I discovered fresh tracks in the muddy ground. My heart leaped with excitement as I followed the trail. It led me deeper into the wilderness, far from the well-trodden paths. As I ventured further, I heard an eerie rustling in the bushes ahead. My breath caught in my throat as I prepared to face whatever was lurking behind the foliage. But instead of the shadowy figure I'd encountered before, I found myself face to face with a majestic elk, its imposing antlers casting eerie shadows on the forest floor. When I was 19, a group of friends and I drove to Vancouver Island for a camping trip with one of our friend's family. The campsite that we went to was on a beautiful crystal clear lake and was on the edge of a forest. And about 50 feet away was a nice little sandy cove. My buddies and I set up some logs so we could sit and talk while we blazed a little bit at about 15 feet away from the tree line. It was late one night, and my four friends and I were sitting around smoking, just bullshitting, and we heard a twig snap like in the movies. We all kind of froze, so I grabbed my flashlight from my backpack and shone it on the trees. At first I didn't see anything, but I took two steps to my right, and I saw these two glowing yellow eyes just staring back at me. I told my friends what I was seeing, and we all just kind of froze. I was freaked out so I bent down and picked up a big rock, just in case. After a couple seconds we got out of there as fast as we could and back to the campsite. That night I slept with my axe real close. The next morning we went out to our spot and saw bear prints in the sand all over where we had been chilling. Seeing those eyes still has to be the creepiest things I've ever seen. My dad used to work at a military fortress. He wasn't serving or anything, but his company, such that it was was, was based there, and as such they had custodial duties to the base. One occasion I remember him going on about was around New Year one year, and he was working quite late, so it was dark when he left. To be honest, I think it was only around 7 p.m., but the sun sets at like 3.30 p.m. in that part of the world in winter. On the drive home, he realized he'd forgotten his phone, so he turned around to go and get it. He parked up and walked through the glasses, over the drawbridge and through the arch, which brought him into the main square from where his office was visible on the top floor of the block on the right. He noticed then that the light was still on in one of the end rooms of the office. I recall it was some kind of storeroom. It was odd, he thought, because he'd been the last one out and had locked up, so his first thought was that he'd locked someone in. When he got up there, though the lights were all off and nobody was about, he received his phone in quick order and left in a little more than a hurry. There were other happenings, too, which didn't involve my dad. On one occasion, his boss came in one morning to complaints from the night cleaner, accusing him of peeking at him from behind doors and hiding, giggling and flicking lights on and off, which was obviously a surprise because he'd been at home all night. The army occupied other floors in the block and other blocks on the camp and often complained about loud parties from the office, which never happened, plus soldiers regularly. Unarmed security for a residential building here. This is extremely tame compared to some of the other stories here, but this is a pretty salient subject, and I have evidence. My site has a rooftop pool, and it's really one of the only major things the management gets anal about when it's supposed to be closed. On a chilly night not too long ago, I was posted up in the rooftop stairwell, staying warm, when I hear a crescendo. In fit of laughter that goes to the point where the laugher is gasping and choking. Kind of weird, but not a big deal, considering that people throw parties and whatnot all the time, and I could tell it wasn't close enough to be someone horsing around in the pool. Then I just start hearing a bunch of shrieking, and the source of the noise is moving around. At this point, I step out, and I realize it's coming from the rooftop itself. Locked up and only accessible by non-security by sailing a concrete wall. The noise stops, and I try to start zeroing from where exactly on this dark, slippery, cold-ass roof the noises were coming from. Then I see some footprints on the roof that were not there before. Barefoot prints with no heel print tiptoeing. Footprints that are dirtier than the surface of the roof itself. Nope, my way right back inside, because it was an hour before clock. I'd much rather have something paranormal than a meth head on the roof running around with no shoes. I grew up in a small village surrounded by tales of the supernatural, but one story stood out from the rest. The legend of the Alma Panada, or The Woman Without Cold. It all started with a report from a local lady who claimed to have seen a mysterious woman walking barefoot on cold nights along the road where the oldest houses stood. This peculiar sight caught the villagers' attention, as it was common for people to wake up during the night to add more wood to their fireplaces to keep warm. Seeing someone outside at such late hours, especially during freezing temperatures, was unusual, to say the least. One fateful night, the village was startled by a series of blood-curdling screams emanating from beyond its borders. The sound was so dreadful that several men felt compelled to leave their homes and investigate. They believed someone must be in grave danger and set out to rescue whoever was in peril. As they approached a small forest on the outskirts of the village, they saw the source of the screams. It was the strange barefoot woman from the earlier reports. She wasn't being attacked or threatened. She simply wandered out of the forest, screaming. The men quickly realized that this was no ordinary person. They were dealing with something beyond this world. Fearing the unknown, they extinguished their lanterns and hurried back to the village. From that night on, whenever they heard the terrifying screams, no one dared venture out. They knew it was the woman without cold, being seemingly impervious to the frigid temperatures. The villagers couldn't determine whether she was a spirit or something else entirely, but her presence continued to haunt them. As a child, I remember lying in bed, my heart racing whenever I heard the eerie screams in the night. Despite my fear, I couldn't help but be captivated by the mystery of the woman without cold. Who was she and what had brought her to our village? Years have passed, and I've since moved away from that small village, but the legend of the Alma Panada has never left me. Even now, on cold winter nights, I can't help but look out the window and wonder if I might catch a glimpse of the enigmatic woman who once walked the streets of my childhood home, her chilling cries echoing through the night. While checking a barbed wire enclosed spring used to water cattle, I saw in the mud within the barbed wire a very large footprint. It was larger than my hand span wide and from my elbow to the tops of my second knuckles long. I'm six feet tall. I collected tufts of black hair, which I still have. I turned around, carefully checking my surroundings. The pines were wide, tall, and dense. There was pine duff on the ground and quite old and deep. I took off my shoe and placed it alongside a footprint in the duff as it was not safe inside the spring to do so. The print extended well beyond my size 11. I was looking at a track of something very large in height and weight. I placed my weight near the track in the pine duff to judge how much the maker of the track weighed. My guess was somewhere around 425 to 450 pounds after I compared the two. My 240 pounds made an impression only half as deep, and there was more duff beneath the track, so it was a very good guess. As to the height of the thing, my best guess, judging from the span of a non-hurrying stride, a normal step, was seven feet, seven half feet tall. It took two of my normal walking strides to cover just one of its steps, from the right foot to the left foot imprint i tracked it until i felt uncomfortable about going any higher up in elevation and because of the density of undergrowth this occurred during the dry season and this was accessible water for it i thought it wise to return to my uncle's home with his two young children ages eleven and eight on this east side of the warners the sun sets early even on a summer afternoon Although I did not see it, I know they are out there. As to the exact location, I wish that to be kept confidential, because my family do not wish the land to be overrun by flatland trackers. Growing up, I was always intrigued by the strange and mysterious stories my father would share from his business trips. He often stayed and run, down ends with shared rooms where he met people from all walks of life. One of his stories still sends a shiver down my spine whenever I recall it. During one of his trips, my father was staying in a ramshackle inn when a couple arrived late in the evening, asking for directions to a nearby town. The innkeeper showed them the way, but strongly advised against traveling at night especially in the fog. Despite the couple's urgency, the innkeeper and his elderly wife insisted that they stay, warning them about the dangers of the road at night. Curious about their concerns, my father asked the couple why they were so nervous. He had walked through foggy nights before and never encountered any trouble. The couple, their faces pale and their voices hushed, shared their fears about a strange creature that had been seen in the area during the cold seasons for several years. They described the creature as a monster that lurked in the darkest forests, emerging only at night under the cover of the fog. People had spotted the creature walking along the road, scaring the local residents. They said it resembled an ogre from ancient tales, much larger and stronger than any man. The shepherds who lived in the open fields had heard its terrifying roars in the night, but their dogs wouldn't dare bark until daybreak. When morning came, they would find the creature's massive footprints on the ground. Once, a group of villagers ventured into the forest to hunt the creature down, but the dense woods and darkness deterred them from staying overnight, fearing that they would never return. The creature was never seen during the warmer months, But in the cold and foggy nights, it was better to stay indoors. As my father recounted this story to me, the hair on the back of my neck would stand on end. And I couldn't help but shudder at the thought of such a terrifying creature lurking in the shadows. Even though I never saw the creature myself, I couldn't shake off the feeling of unease that settled in whenever I was out on a cold, foggy night. Years later, I still find myself glancing over my shoulder, half expecting to catch a glimpse of the ogre, like monster that haunted my father's stories. Whether it was real or simply the product of the villagers' vivid imaginations, the legend of the fog creature will forever be etched in my memory, a chilling reminder of the unknown that may lurk just beyond our sight. 2020, five years ago, I spent a lot of time at a friend's house throughout the summer. As kids, we naturally played outside often. His house was out of town, down a private road, with 10-15 houses on it. Over a few years' time, while playing outside, I would see a Native American. Eye paint feathers, loincloth, the whole ball of wax. We would lock eyes, then he would disappear. It happened several times, and when I would ask my twin brother or friend if they saw him, nothing, they never did. I let it go and just left it to my imagination. Fifteen years later, I now work for my father in his small business. I get a call to do an estimate for a neighbor that lived next to my friend's house. Friend had moved away, and the house was under new owners. Looked over the house, pretty normal estimate started to partake in small talk with the elderly couple, and I explained to her we spent time next door as kids growing up. She asks me if I ever have seen the Indian man. My jaw dropped. Was she messing with me? Was someone playing a prank? She went on to explain that there had been a tribe that had lived along these river banks and that his spirit had stayed behind. I still don't know what to believe, but it was eye-opening. As an investigator of paranormal phenomena, I had always been interested in the legends and folklore of Native American tribes. So when I heard about strange occurrences happening in the Grand Teton National Park, I knew I had to investigate. On April 25th, I set out on a hike along a tributary of the park about 2,200 feet above sea level. I was on the lookout for signs of skinwalker activity a legend that has been passed down for generations by the Native American tribes in the area. As I made my way deeper into the woods, I noticed something strange. The tops of several fir trees had been twisted off and were hanging about eight and a half feet up. This was not something that could have been done by natural means, and it immediately caught my attention. I followed the trail further up, and to my surprise, I found even more trees with twisted tops. It was as if something had gone through the woods, systematically breaking the trees as it went. I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease as I continued my hike. It was as if something was watching me, following my every move. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, and it sent shivers down my spine. As I made my way back down the trail, I couldn't help but wonder. What couldn't help but wonder what could have caused such a bizarre phenomenon? Was it the work of a skinwalker, as I had suspected, or was it something else entirely, something far more sinister? I couldn't be sure, but one thing was certain, I would need to investigate further. The legends and folklore of the Native American tribes had always intrigued me, and now more than ever, I was determined to uncover the truth behind these strange occurrences. It was just a weekend camping trip with my buddy Mark. We were both avid fishermen, so we had set up camp near the river. Mark had caught a nice salmon earlier in the day, and we were planning on cooking it over the fire later that night. As the sun went down, we started to settle in for the night. Mark had fallen asleep pretty quickly, but I was still wide awake, listening to the sounds of the forest. That's when I heard something that made my heart skip a beat. It was a slow tapping sound, like rocks being knocked together. I sat up and listened, trying to figure out what it could be. It continued for a few minutes and then suddenly stopped. I shrugged it off, thinking it was just some small animal scavenging for food. But then it happened again about 15 minutes later. This time it was different, though. The tapping was faster and it came from a different direction. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was out there watching us. I eventually fell asleep, but was awoken a few hours later by a strange noise. It was like a low growl mixed with heavy breathing. I sat up, my heart pounding in my chest, and looked out the window of the camper. That's when I saw it. Standing there in the light of the lantern was a Bigfoot. Its back was to me, and all I could see was its dark, oily, shiny fur. I couldn't believe my eyes. I had heard stories of Bigfoot sightings, but never thought I would see one for myself. I woke Mark up, but by the time he had gotten out of the camper, the creature was gone. We spent the rest of the night listening to the sounds of the forest, but didn't hear or see anything else. The next day, we packed up our camp and headed back home. I couldn't stop thinking about what I would seen. I did some research and found out that there had been other Bigfoot sightings in the area. I even read about how some people believe that it was mating season for Bigfoot during that time of year. I don't know what I saw that night, but I know that it wasn't just my imagination. It's hard to deny the existence of Bigfoot when you've seen one with your own eyes. Back when I was a kid, my mother always spoke about her mom being a ranger, She would tell my mom how much she loved it. It inspired me to want to follow in her footsteps With my grandparents dying and all I watched my mother do her job And she loved that park with everything she had she did it well She claims the only downfall was all the odd stuff she had heard in the trees and that was apparently normal as I grew up I took over every day that I'm on the job watching I make sure that I always have my special soda with me. It always brings me comfort knowing I have my favorite drink. My friends always told me not to apply for the job, since so many resign and so many are told to keep quiet about things they see. My friends told me that people who get an opportunity to become a ranger, you begin to see some strange things. Back in 2019, I got a call to do the night shift for a
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Park. My husband told me not to go. We had already made plans to go off for Christmas. I said we can't go out to eat if I'm not working to put food on the table. Besides, they need extra rangers to patrol, and I need to be there to help. We can celebrate when I get back. I went out the door, heading to the park. I was thinking on the way to the job, that if I get bit by something, nobody is there to save me. At least I have my watch that the job gave me to communicate with others. The job is a blessing, even if you're in trouble. You can always call somebody and they will help, usually as I arrive to work. I see my best friend at work and did not know she was on the same shift she had been doing a double. When I approached her, we spoke and she told me about the strange noises she heard right near a pond. All I wanted to do was go home and be with my husband. I really couldn't do anything but continue the job. She clocks back in for break and I'm just beginning my shift. It dawned on me that I forgot where my watch was. My friend told me to stay posted and I agreed. We walked to my vehicle to get my soda. Anyway, I look over and I can't find my drink. I kept telling her. The stage gets better. And better. The event has started and we're now patrolling the park, making sure everything is running smoothly. She gets a call telling her she needs to split and go to the other side. Someone is requesting her. She told her boss copy that she would report back to him. Turns out the boss never told her to split. It was something interfering. I went to the other side of the park to check on her, and I watched this creature jump down from the tree onto her back. Driving both of them into the pond, I ran, trying to rip her off, but this thing was so strong it was not worth it. This creature went into the water so fast I didn't see it. It was a blessing that I've managed to survive, but my friend, well, that's a different story. I immediately reached out to the dispatcher in the park. Nobody answered. I called again from the watch and got the boss. I told them I was worried, and when it happened, he said they were going to send help. Right away, they went in after her to try and locate her body, but there's no such luck finding anything. We had to shut down the park. We could not risk any of the public getting injured. We also informed the authorities and had them evacuate out of the park. Police said that it was something out of the ordinary that dragged her into the pond as if that wasn't any more obvious. When we began to review the footage, we saw the noise that she had mentioned. My boss had simply come to the conclusion that she was going crazy, and we know she'd been going through things. But this is definitely not crazy. We had to call our family and let them know what had happened. So my job asked me called me while we were being so close. They did not take it well. So before I went home, I stopped by and let them know what happened they were in disbelief. They could not believe it. I went home after, and before I could share with my husband what had happened, he saw the scratches on my arm and face from that thing. I broke down and told him that she's dead, and everything had to be closed down. Facing her family was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. This is the only Christmas where I've had to work, and I hate it. I hate what I had to see. I'd always been fascinated by the eerie stories my Aunt Mabel would tell us about her life in the rural area of western North Carolina, near the Smoky Mountains. As a child, I would listen intently as she spun tales of strange happenings and mysterious creatures that roamed the land. However, I never thought I would experience one of these stories myself. In October of 2022, Aunt Mabel invited me to visit her and her husband, Uncle Pete for a weekend getaway. Their home was nestled at the foot of the mountain, surrounded by dense woods that seemed to hold a thousand secrets. I was excited to experience the tranquility and beauty of nature, as well as spend some time with my favorite relative. On the first night of my visit, Aunt Mabel cooked a delicious feast, and we spent the evening reminiscing about old times and laughing at our shared memories. As we were cleaning up after dinner, Uncle Pete mentioned that he had been hearing some strange noises at night lately. He described them as heavy footsteps on their roof, as if some large creature was stomping around up there. Uncle Pete, a practical man who was rarely frightened by anything, assumed it was probably just a large raccoon or some other critter that had found its way into their roof however aunt mabel's eyes grew wide and she shared that the local cherokee indians had legends about a creature called the dogman a terrifying beast that was known to stalk the woods around the smoky mountains as the night wore on we discussed the possibility of the dogman being responsible for the strange noises on the roof i was both excited and apprehensive about the idea as I had always been intrigued by cryptids and supernatural phenomena, but I wasn't sure how I would react if I actually encountered one. That night, as I lay in bed, I strained to listen for any strange sounds coming from the roof. At first, there was nothing but the gentle rustling of leaves outside my window, but just as I was about to drift off to sleep, I heard it, a heavy thud followed by the unmistakable sound of large footsteps. I sat up in bed my heart pounding in my chest as I strained to hear more. For several minutes the footsteps continued, moving from one end of the roof to the other. Then, just as suddenly as they had begun, they stopped. I didn't sleep a wink for the rest of the night, my mind racing with thoughts of the dogman, what it might be doing on my aunt and uncle's roof. The next morning I told Aunt Mabel and Uncle Pete about the noises I had heard. They exchanged worried glances, and Aunt Mabel decided that it was time to consult with a local Cherokee elder who was well versed in the legends and lore of the dogman. We spent the day with the elder, learning more about the mysterious creature and its connection to the land. He explained that the dogman was an ancient spirit that guarded the forests, and that it was likely attracted to my aunt and uncle's home because of its remote location. I didn't believe it, but my aunt was into the whole story. That night I was outside trying to see what's on roof. I spent whole night, but I never heard or seen anything. Unfortunately, I had to leave next day. I asked my aunt and uncle to call me if they noticed a sound on the roof again. Interestingly enough, we never spoke of it again. At 54 years old, I'm a husband, father, and grandfather with a few years of Navy experience under my belt. My story takes place in central Pennsylvania, home to the Bald Eagle Ridge, a 60-mile-long mountain ridge that marks the boundary of the Apalchian Plateau to the west. This region of Pennsylvania is stunning, with the majority of the state's population residing in the valleys rather than the secluded mountaintops. About a decade ago, my wife, 25-year-old son, two grandchildren, and one of their friends joined me for a walk at the reservoir that supplies drinking water to our area in central Pennsylvania. The reservoir, created by damming a creek that runs through the valley, is a picturesque spot teeming with fish and surrounded by wildlife. Before suffering two strokes in recent years. I was an avid hunter and fisherman who taught my family to appreciate nature. Naturally, my son and I were armed during our walk to protect ourselves from any potentially dangerous animals. Despite starting our walk later than planned, we enjoyed our journey up the mountain. As night fell, we each carried a flashlight and proceeded without concern. While walking, I suddenly felt uneasy for no apparent reason. I then heard what sounded like heavy footsteps above us on the steep hillside to our left. As my son led our group, we all stopped to listen. I couldn't help but feel startled, though I initially dismissed the sound as a deer or another animal. However, the entire group remained alert as we continued walking. Soon we heard the sound of a large branch snapping, followed by what seemed like a tree or boulder being thrown. It was a loud noise, different from the sound of a tree falling due to wind. We then heard what sounded like a heavy person running. At this point, we picked up our pace, trying to reach our truck quickly. Although our flashlights illuminated the hillside, we saw nothing but trees. The remainder of the walk back to the truck was uneventful, but we remained on high alert unsure of what had made the noise. Based on my experience, I believe it sounded like something had ripped a tree from the ground and thrown it. Could it have been a Bigfoot shadowing us? It's a possibility I cannot dismiss. I had always been intrigued by the unknown, especially when it came to sightings of unidentified flying objects. So, when I moved to Chicago in May 2019 to begin my new job as a park ranger, I never expected that I would have my own encounter with the unexplained. On a warm spring afternoon, I was sitting on the front porch of my new home, enjoying the sunshine and sipping on a cold glass of lemonade. My neighbor, Ken Ross, a friendly middle-aged man with a penchant for stargazing, was relaxing on his porch as well. We exchanged pleasantries, discussing the weather and our plans for the weekend. Suddenly, Ken's gaze drifted upward, his eyes widening in shock. He nudged me, pointing to the sky. ''Look at that!'' he exclaimed. Following his gaze, I saw a strange, black, amorphous object hovering in the sky. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before, and it seemed to defy all logic. We watched the object in awe as it moved gracefully across the sky. It was difficult to gauge its size and distance, but it was clear that this was no ordinary aircraft or weather balloon. Ken, being an avid UFO enthusiast, quickly pulled out his cell phone and began recording the enigmatic object. What do you think it is? I asked, my voice barely above a whisper. I have no idea, Ken replied, his eyes never leaving the screen of his phone. But it's definitely not something I've ever seen before. As we continued to watch the UFO, a sudden gust of wind caused it to wobble, momentarily revealing a metallic glint beneath its black exterior. It then continued on its path, eventually disappearing behind a cluster of trees. Ken and I exchanged bewildered glances, unsure of what we had just witnessed. We spent the next few hours reviewing the footage, analyzing the object's shape, movement, and size. Despite our best efforts, we were unable to come up with a plausible explanation for the bizarre sighting. In the days that followed, Ken uploaded the video to various UFO forums, hoping that someone might be able to shed some light on the mysterious object. The response was overwhelming, with many viewers expressing their own theories and experiences with similar sightings. As a park ranger, my job often put me in close contact with nature and I couldn't help but wonder if there were other unknown phenomena lurking in the skies above. My encounter with the black amorphous UFO had sparked a newfound fascination with the unexplained, and I found myself spending more time with Ken, discussing our shared interests and embarking on nightly skywatches. The sighting had left an indelible mark on both of our lives, serving as a constant reminder that there are still mysteries in this world waiting to be discovered. And as I continued my work as a park ranger, I couldn't help but look up the sky and wonder what other secrets lay hidden among the stars. I was hiking in the whole rainforest on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington back in three. I was trying to do this really snazzy hike from the ocean to Mount Olympus. Well, day one is a blast. Get everything accomplished. Day two, fog. Fog is thick as anything you can imagine. I can't get a decent GPS fix, so I'm pretty much blind, but I know if I follow the whole river upstream. I'll get to one of the campsites I'm going for. Day goes by and fog isn't clearing up at all. I get to a fairly big clearing and set up my tent. I grab a power bar and chill out as it starts going to the darkest black night I've ever experienced. I'm seriously a bit unnerved at the whole thing. Not scared as much as just. Anxious. About two in the morning I start hearing this huffing noise like Darth Vader without the helmet on. My imagination starts to go freaky, and I reach for my flashlight. I pull the drawstring on the tent a little, very quietly, and poke my head out. Still dark as death, I hear the noise coming from maybe, maybe five feet to my right. At this point, I'm seriously rethinking my belief in Sasquatch. I poke my flashlight out and turn it on. I'm a few feet away from a massive Roosevelt elk who'd lost his way in the dark as well. He sees the flashlight, bolts the other way, tags a tree, and knocks himself clean out. I laid in the tent until I heard a groan, a bunch of commotion, and the big guy grunt away. Working as a cop was simply one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. I made good friends, had several adventures and encounters. Among other things, when I also retired, I did so with full honor and glory and no bad records. It was the best life and career I could ask for. However, while my job had its fair share of excitement and fun, it also had its hidden dangers. Most of these were often mild with little to no deaths. If we were lucky, we got off with light injuries. However, I had an encounter that nearly cost my life. Nothing had prepared me for this terrifying encounter, not even the rigorous training we received when we applied for the academy, nor the years of experience on the job itself had properly prepared me for this ordeal. That ordeal was one of the reasons I retired when I did. My mind was unable to handle the shock from that encounter. I was in the precinct with a few of my colleagues. They were on duty that day when we received a distress call. I went to check it out. I left the precinct while pondering on what the issues could be. The caller had only dropped an address before the line went off, so it was puzzling to say the least. Usually these kind of calls are some of the worst. I located the house after a bit of asking around the place that it was located. It was in the deepest part of town. Notwithstanding, everybody seemed familiar with the place at that point. Countless alarm bells were going off in my head. This house was in a very secluded part of town, yet everybody knew it. This was strange. I wouldn't be surprised if one or two people knew about the place, but everybody seemed to know where the call came from. I guess the house was built in the old 1900s, and it had a very eerie ambience around it. I could sense a sinister aura surrounding it, but I was not bothered. It was just my mind and paranoia and trying to play tricks on me. I walked to the door and knocked. The answer I got was silence. I knocked again, stating who I was with more strength, still greeted by silence. At this point, the alarm bells were blaring nonstop in my head, but I still chose to ignore them. I'd already gotten here. I can't just turn back without conducting a search or a proper investigation. When I'd grown tired of knocking, I decided to barge in, and I heard the footsteps racing down the stairs. It was a middle-aged woman with a girl of about 15 years in tow. The woman opened the door with a smile and asked politely, how may I help you, officer? And I told her somebody had called our precinct, gave the address to this house, so I decided to do a wellness check. The woman softly smiled and told me it was just the kids playing pranks. I couldn't help but glance at the girl behind her, who was silently mouthing the words, Help me. It was at that juncture I knew that something was going on in that house, and this woman standing in front of me was either the perpetrator or or an accomplice. In my mind, I concluded the matter to be a case of child trafficking or kidnapping, but little did I know that I was about to be thrown into a world that would shatter everything I knew. I was about to be thrown into a world that would decimate mine. I simply smiled. The woman asked if I could come in to take a look. The smile at this point on her face receded and she threw a glance at the girl behind her. The girl trembled and retreated in fright, which further confirmed my suspicions that something sinister was going on. I took a step inside, taking a curse for every glance at everything before turning to the girl. My intuition told me she had been the one to make the call that brought me here. I decided to make her talk so I could ascertain if the voice had been hers. Hi, my name is Matthew. What's yours? I had asked with a smile, trying to be chipper and polite. She only gave a frightful nod in response, declining to clearly talk again, another action firmly confirming my suspicion. She had indeed been the one to make the call to the precinct, and the look of terror on her face made me know that the woman standing behind me was clearly no saint. I turned to address her. Ma'am, this child looks malnourished and starved. She's also in need of immediate medical attention. With your permission, I'd like to take her to the hospital. The moment I said those words, I could feel the temperature drop and a cold shiver ran over my body. This look crept onto the woman's face and her voice, which sounded like a demon from the depths of hell, awakened terror within me. I felt was fear, a primal fear, from the depths of my soul. Grabbing the girl, I rushed towards the door, only for it to snap shut as if pushed by an invisible hand. The woman slowly began to shape, shift from a middle-aged woman into something ghastly and evil-looking. She gave this shrill cry, and her eyes retracted to these black shapes. The noise was high-pitched and making my ears nearly bleed. She raised her hands toward me, making me fly towards her, terrified. I cannot describe how I felt. All I knew was I felt a pang of regret at that moment. This encounter had brought me face to face with a demon or a witch. She clenched her fist, and giving me the sensation that a hand had clutched onto my heart, I cried out in pain and silently prayed to God. In my pain, I didn't realize the girl was no longer behind me. I was busy, too busy thinking of how to escape. Once again, ruthlessly, I was flung away like a rag doll, and it was at this moment I saw the girl. She was holding on to a crude crucifix stealthily she went behind the woman and violently began stabbing her with a cry of pain the woman seemed to stop moving i immediately radioed for backup grabbing the girl throwing her in my car and driving to the station my supervisor immediately began talking to her while backup was taking care and cleaning up the situation i was sent home for the night and the next day when i went in for my shift. I was told I would no longer be working on that case and did not speak about any of the details given. That was many years ago now, and now that I don't do it anymore, I feel the need to share this information. Hopefully it'll assist anybody out there with knowing that things beyond our realm of comprehension and understanding rational thought truly exist. Today my wife and I were hiking in Missouri. Our original targeted trailhead had a guy parked there that was in his truck looking very suspicious. We went to another trailhead. Being unfamiliar with the area, we came across the previous trailhead with the suspect person about three miles into our four-mile loop. Guy was not in the truck. Check. Need to be aware. A little further, full water bottle on the trail with an empty can of spam. Check. Odd. A little further small backpack on the trail. Okay, now my wife and I automatically go into condition orange. She is facing one way and me the other while walking. I am always armed, so getting ready as it looked like a setup. One hundred yards later, hear someone talking. Guy is twenty yards off the trail, crawling around like an animal, laughing like a insane nutcase. Okay, now in condition red. We continue on past him, Weapon out now at my side. He moves towards the trail as we pass, now ready to do what I have to, move the wife in front of me after we pass, and he is coming. At the last minute, nutjob turns away. He lives. We watched our six for a while. He was so methed out, he was acting like a bear in the woods, laughing it up in fantasy land and digging in the dirt. This is not the first crazy shit I have come across have had multiple encounters with violent or crazy people in the city, in the woods, minding my own business. I feel two-legged animals are the most dangerous thing in the woods and elsewhere. I think you're nuts if you're not always armed. I have been standing at a gas pump, pumping gas before work. Guy pulls up and threatens to beat me with a baseball bat. Going to the doctor, a guy beating his woman in the parking lot, she runs in the doctor's office, I locked the door. He says he is going to kill me. Folks, it only takes one to go wrong. I'm 60 now. Not as tough as I once was. Got to be careful. Do your family a favor. Always carry. Years ago, my wife thought I was a little nuts. We have had enough crazy shit happen. Now she is armed and makes damn sure I never leave the house unarmed. I'm a police officer, and this is a story that a colleague told me. He responded to a call to check up on a camper. But when he arrived, all the lights were out. There was no one there. And it was as if everyone had completely disappeared. He heard a growling noise with a chewing sound and saw a tiny, three-foot-tall, furry, humanoid thing standing there, reminding him of a chimpanzee. He was startled and nearly fell backward. The creature ran off, going at about 30 miles an hour. According to my colleague, it looked partly human, with a nose and brow ridge, but the rest of its face was almost covered in hair and reminded him of an ape. The eyes were all black, and it did not appear to be violent or aggressive. The campers had been harassed by this creature and had left after making the call. Some of my cryptozoology friends believed that a juvenile Sasquatch was responsible for the sighting, This happened a few months ago on a trip I was taking to see my grandparents. They live about an hour and a half away, and I take the Natchez Trace Parkway to their house. For those who aren't familiar with it, it is a national parkway that is surrounded by woods, for lack of a better description. Along the parkway, there are many places you can pull off and see landmarks from American history, most having to do with Native American Indians. There are no stores or gas stations along the parkway without having to exit off and drive a few miles to the nearest town. They do provide several bathrooms on the trace for travelers. For this trip, I was alone, since my husband had to work. I had left my grandparents' house, and I was about 45 minutes into my drive when I realized the large drink I had gotten at Taco Bell was a huge mistake. I had to pee, like really, really had to. I was on a long stretch of the trace where the next exit was a good 20 miles ahead. Now, I was prepared to wait it out since I was alone and didn't want to stop at the bathrooms, as usually there were other travelers stopping there to rest and use the restrooms. When I got closer to the restrooms, I decided I would pull in and look around and see if maybe no one would be there or a large group of people would be there. My bladder felt like it was about to explode, and I really thought I might have an accident if I tried to make it to the next town. So I pull in and immediately notice a parkway ranger parked at the restrooms along with one other vehicle. I figured since the ranger was there, I would be safe to run in and use the restroom quickly. I got out of my car and caught the ranger's eye, and he nodded his head at me, so I locked my car and went inside the restroom. I was thinking he would stay until I left the restroom, so I felt completely safe. When I got in the stall, I heard a car start up and thought it was the other vehicle that was sitting in the lot. I was very, very wrong. Not fifteen seconds later, the door to the restroom opened and someone started banging on the stall door. I was mid-p and I had to go so bad I couldn't stop. I could see a pair of men's shoes under the stall door and two very large hefty legs, he wasn't saying anything, just banging on the door. I finished as quickly as I could and got my pants pulled up and everything, then just froze. I didn't know what to do. It was obviously the ranger who had left the parking lot. This guy is banging on the door, not saying a word. I finally found my voice and asked what he wanted. He told me to cone out of the stall. His voice sounded so calm compared to the banging. I yelled at him and told him I had my phone with me and was going to call 911. He just kept banging and calmly telling me to come out of the stall. I was praying the latch wouldn't break. I unfortunately, stupidly, didn't actually have my phone with me. But I still pretended I was calling 911 and talking to a dispatcher. The man stopped banging and I heard him run out of the restroom. I waited a minute what felt like an hour, and heard his vehicle start up, so I decided to run to my car. I got my keys ready, and as soon as I opened the door, I unlocked my car and ran as fast as I could and got in. I immediately locked my doors and started my car. The man was still parked in the lot in his truck, so I grabbed my phone and called 911. They told me to wait right there while they transferred me to the ranger's dispatch. Well, I guess the man saw me get my phone and realized I hadn't called when I was inside the restroom. He jumped out of his truck and started coming towards my car. I was still waiting to talk to the other dispatcher, but there was no way I was just going to sit there while this man tried to break into my car or something. So I reversed out of the lot onto the road. The dispatcher came on the line, and I was focused on driving and telling her everything that happened, and that a ranger had been there, like five minutes earlier she told me to hold on while she tried to find the ranger that was there and i glanced in the rearview mirror to see the truck right behind me i screamed into the phone to tell a dispatcher but i guess i was on hold because she didn't come back on the line for another 30 seconds or so when she came back i was screaming that he was behind me and she was trying to calm me down She said the ranger was just down the road from me and to put on my flashers, so when I passed him, he would know I was the one who needed help. When I put my flashers on, the man slowed down and got further behind me. I had gone about a mile when. I saw the ranger. He got behind the truck and the man pulled just pulled over. I pulled over about 500 feet in front of them. I watched as the ranger made the man get out of his truck and handcuff him and put him in the police car. The ranger then came to talk to me and said that, the man said, that it wasn't him and just denied everything. Luckily, the ranger recognized him since he was in the parking lot when I pulled up. The ranger told me I could go, so I left and went home. I haven't heard what happened to the man. If anything, I have never driven on the trace by myself since, and I always make sure I use the restroom before I leave my grandparents'. I still have no idea why the ranger left the parking lot. I was too shaken up when I talked to him to think to ask. So crazy guy who bangs on bathroom stalls, let's never ever meet.